welcome to the podcast. We've got fresh content from some of the brightest minds in the Bitcoin, blockchain, and crypto space. With feeds on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram that make it so incredibly easy to keep to the pulse of what's happening. Don't forget to like, subscribe, and even hit the share button to send to someone you know who would love to know about this totally free podcast. Huge thanks to our main sponsor, UnoCoin, who are not only India's leading crypto assets blockchain company, but also the reason why this podcast is available to you completely free of charge. With that said, let's jump into one of the Blockchain Impact Conference talks that took place in Toronto, Canada on December 8th, 2017. Enjoy. Um, very excited to be in Toronto here. Thank you all for being here. I love this city and it's exciting to see so many people here interested in the space. Uh, a little bit about myself, Sean Owen is the name, CEO of Salt Lending, which I'll speak about, but I really want to spend most of my time talking about impact and the topic of blockchain and what, what's exciting to me. Uh, but some color, I originally got involved through this space by information sharing I heard about Bitcoin and uh, that caught my attention, it's very exciting. And I started meeting all of my business partners and meetups, so I think, you know, if anything, I'd like to share information with you that hopefully gets somebody inspired. The next idea kind of comes out of this and you talk to somebody, we talk with a partner, or something happens where you realize that there's so much opportunity here. It's a matter of just networking and meeting with people and embracing kind of how much opportunity there is. So that's kind of what I'm hoping to get out of it at a high level, is sharing information, sharing what I'm excited about and seeing if that sparks some passion. So Salt Lending is the company that we founded, and specifically we, we are, we're kind of pinned as blockchain-backed loans. So currently, just to give some overview, in Bitcoin, specifically the technology right now, you can either hold on to something and you have custodianship of it, you have a direct uh, representation of it in your wallet, or you can, you can transmit that to somebody else. You can sell that, you can send it, you can do whatever you want to do. And there's a lot of businesses in between that are leveraging and taking advantage of that ability to, to basically buy or sell. What we do is we open up another option, which is traditionally kind of what you see everywhere, which is credit. A credit market based off of property, so collateralized lending, uh, which we think is the safer way of lending versus credit scores and a lot of these other things where you have infrastructure pointed at how to, how to find out if you should give somebody money. Well, it's much easier if you have property backing that and you have the ability to, to perfect that property. So this technology specifically, and where we're focusing on is in what people call smart contracts. The ability to have an executed uh, object, something that does what it's supposed to do, when it's supposed to do, based off of inputs, is called a smart contract or automated system. SALT actually stands for Secured Automated Lending Technology. That was our approach at the protocol layer of how should lending happen in this space. How do you take full advantage of this change, which is direct ownership? The custodianship changes dramatically in this technology. So currently, uh, it is very expensive and it takes a lot of energy in order to custody something. You have title, you have the ability to recognize uh, that you, you have something in your possession. But there's infrastructure, there's tons of work that goes into record keeping, especially in countries where they don't have a lot of infrastructure. Uh, you know, an example simply of the technology in this application, I was just traveling in Bogota, and in two different situations, I just got stuck spending a ton of time trying to prove that I could do a transaction. One was in an ATM, couldn't get the pin to work, couldn't get some pesos, couldn't pay the bill, spent an inordinate amount of time involved with just getting to the point where I could give them some pesos. And what solved it actually is, is a blockchain conference, there was a Bitcoin ATM. And it was like, thank you so much. 
that's exactly what I needed. Within a couple of minutes, I got sent Bitcoin, got my money back, and went and done the, the transaction that needed to happen. The second one was at the currency exchange. I had to get fingerprinted twice, fill out two different forms, spend 15 minutes in the line, and a few other minutes wiping my hands off and making sure I had the records to get 80 bucks in USD before I could rush to get on my plane. You know, and that's the kind of infrastructure that directly changes when you have proof of ownership when you have this ability to know undeniably on a, on a network of trust that you are the rightful owner of an asset. So we take full advantage of that and we say, okay, this is an excellent means of storing the value. And there's obviously a ton of traction involved with Bitcoin right now. And there's a lot of believers that now are getting involved or have been around for a long time that see that as a store of value. They see it as an asset class. And I think that's only gonna continue to become more prominent. So our thesis here, and a lot of what I'm going to talk about is these trends of where, where are we going with all this. And it's the distributed ledger or blockchain, depending on how you talk about the technology, is a way of recording information. So it's a new way of recording information that has an enormous uh, disruptive potential, as I think everybody knows. But we see a future where everything starts to become tokenized. I'm going to put a slide up here in a minute that just shows exactly kind of the depth of how many brands and companies are out there. And I think you're seeing a little bit of this present itself in what people are calling ICOs, which is a terrible name to generalize everything all into one bucket. It doesn't really do it justice. It stands for internal coin, initial coin offering. Uh, and it really should be kind of take a step back, get away from the buzz, and just think about what's actually happening is types of value are being recorded in a new way. So we're seeing it used for fundraising predominantly because it's an excellent means of that. It's very disruptive and has the ability to kind of cut out a lot of intermediaries in that process, venture capital and the whole nine yards. It's much easier to raise money in that fashion. But what I really think that is, is this is just the beginning of seeing the ability to tokenize or represent any piece of value onto a blockchain in an entirely different way. And that could be digital video points, that could be objects in online worlds, that can be your points on travel cards, that can be currencies, securities, bonds, stocks. I think we're gonna see all of that. I think we've just started to see this technology be applied into this, this, uh, these markets. So with that being said, we see a world where you can have a much more granular ability to represent a portfolio. Why can't you have all of your assets in a place where you have uh, custodianship shared with whoever you need to, some banks, uh, family members, a lot of different elements of how you can have multi-signature contracts that are all embedded into your portfolio of all of your value and have a better uh, understanding of your personal financial state. This idea actually came from going to a bank, wanting to get a $9,000 loan, and having a bunch of money in Bitcoin, and them saying, we don't understand that. We're not gonna be able to recognize that. There's no way for us to perfect that, or we don't know if we can prove that you actually have it, right? It's very confusing. So this solves, what we're working on, solves that issue, which is how do you share these contracts and multi-signature keys with parties that need to be involved in transactions that can do what they say they're gonna do? And then how do you take that to the extreme? So now you have everything that you've acquired over time that can be represented in a digital fashion coming together and presenting a portfolio that then you can use for leverage. So a piece of what we uh, really believe in, something I'm passionate about, is saving money financially being responsible before you go spend money. So rather than just borrowing off of credit and promising somebody you're going to make it back and then maybe not being able to depending on what happens, 
you can post collateral, which is a better form of lending, and you can be good for it because you know the accumulation of that if you do the right loan values. If you set it up right, you're going to protect that promise with something real. Um, and that then can go into a credit card, that can go into a line of credit, that can go into term loans. There's all these different really cool things in financial transactions that exist already today. So it's nothing, it's nothing new, it's just a new application that really harnesses the value of, of this technology. So uh, that's all I'm really going to speak about. So I wanted to show this slide, which is how many different companies are putting energy in some capacity into blockchain tokenization, research, development, you name it. Some attention put into this, whether extreme and they're all in, whether they're a company where they're 100% blockchain or they're traditional and they're just getting started. It represents, to me, a kind of obvious trend, which is this is already just started. It's going to happen. It's going to accelerate. You travel around the world, you go to these conferences, you know, I think it was Ed who mentioned how many different currencies there are. I think that's an understatement. I think there's actually a lot more than that. And there's just not any way to kind of understand how big it is just yet. But that, that trend is something that I'm going to talk about that's very exciting. So I'm going to skip past this. I've talked about collateral. The future is really what I wanted to talk about. So impact. Where I think the technology needs more attention and some of the things that are very exciting to think about is in some of the key attributes to the technology that we've just never had access to before until Bitcoin was invented. So you have this decentralized nature, which if you take to the extreme is kind of every one of us being a part of the market rather than encompassing large groups or centralized entities. You know, it's very possible and I believe in the future you're gonna, we're all gonna have all these financial instruments embedded into our devices and our online presence, our ID, and you're going to be able to transact and do business and deals and all kinds of different financial relationships that have never really existed. And I think I find that very exciting. I think there's a ton of opportunity just in the decentralized nature of all of us being a part of the market. Uh, transparency, I like to usually focus on this for a minute because we all in this room lived through 2008. There was a lot of problems that came up that nobody really saw coming uh, that then were just there. How did you miss the elephant in the room? And most of them had to do with not knowing what instruments had been created and having derivatives on top of derivatives and all these promises that were made that couldn't be paid back. And if you think about blockchain technology and having a direct representation of something, of an instrument, Having transparency where it's globally available, you can put the minds of everybody in the world focused on that, you really open up the, the potential to kind of wipe out those scenarios, right? Have a much more efficient market, have a much stronger sense of the dynamics that are happening in the economy and the markets altogether because you have this transparency, you know it can't be forged, it can't be counterfeit. And that, I think, is extremely powerful. A lot of people don't focus on that specifically. But imagine if the entire layer of the internet, all the world's value in some capacity was recorded in a way where you had the statistics and people understand what's going on and you can make decisions based off of that and you, and you can trust those decisions. So that's a piece that I think should be talked about much more than it is. The really, really big one is the global nature. Uh, I spend most of my time, 60, 70% of my time talking to lawyers, regulators and the like because we're in financial markets. There's a lot of learning curve happening right now. There's a tremendous amount of information that is wrong or just hasn't happened yet. Everybody gets exposed at some point or another, and then it's this giant learning curve. Depending on how far you want to go, you can go into a room 
on the technical side or the regulatory side, and you can probably spend a couple of years just trying to get to the bottom of some of these things, which is where all the opportunity comes from, but it's also where a lot of the uncertainty comes from. So there's a tremendous amount of implications with global technology where you can walk across any border and the border effectively is disintermediated because you have all of your wealth in your pocket. Like that, that's, that's very, very powerful and I think it's frightening on some aspects but opens up opportunity. It's also very exciting if done proper because there's the ability to speed up and level kind of all of these things that are currently in the market that are, that are slow and inefficient. I'll give you an example in the, in the legal side. Just lending laws alone are so fragmented in America that you go to other countries and everybody's got a different take on what and how you should interact financially. There's, there's no shortage of that. And then you have countries that have no way of enforcing laws and all these different elements to it. This technology is gonna disrupt that massively, right? The ability that these currencies exist in a global sense, meaning that if there's an internet connection, you're online, you have access to your money, regardless of where you're at, that's pretty big. And I think that's actually an awesome part of this technology that should be looked at a lot more. And you know, think about the market of liquidity. So liquidity typically equals a sense of security. If you own cash, you know I've got lots of places to spend it. If you own a rare piece of gold, maybe, it's going to be hard to find a place that will exchange that. Uh, but there are places that do it. And in a market where you have something that's very illiquid, like real estate, uh, or some other forms of real assets, that liquidity can become a big problem. So the more liquidity you have in markets, the better and safer it usually is for people to own or hold or transact in that type of value. Uh, this technology is liquid by default. So the fact that it's programmed to say anybody can send any information, which is the value, to anybody else peer-to-peer, that's got implications with Bitcoin, but now imagine that for everything else. What if everything can transact that way? Opens up an entire set of problems that have to be solved from the current regulatory systems, but I find that those are all gonna be very positive if applied the right way. There's an opportunity to program money like we've never had before, and to think about how should compliance, how should regulatory issues, how, sh how should safety be built into the markets at the core level. You know, whether it's lending, any type of transaction you can think of, there's an entire new way to apply that and think about how this could affect markets in a positive way. So really, uh, I find that in the elements of this, the liquidity is probably one of the most important features, probably one of the most disruptive features. And if you think about how many different ways that, that can be applied, ICOs are just kind of a fad, I think. It's just one way of thinking about raising money. Typically, raising money is at debt or equity, and I don't think that's gonna change. I think you're just gonna find much more efficient ways of transacting with people and uh, interacting in a way that we've never been able to before. It's very exciting. Another concept that I find very interesting just to share, to think about, is the velocity or the speed that this technology brings. So we probably all typically feel pretty comfortable that you can transact quickly with the credit card most places. But in reality, the settlement layers that are embedded into how we transact, when you really start to look at them, they become kind of construct, they, they contrast greatly with once you get used to blockchain technology and how slow they really are. Uh, the, the reason I bring up the speed and the efficiency gained 
is that that has implications for every single person, whether it's how you pay your taxes because it's much more efficient, whether it's the ability to do a deal quicker, to transact with somebody faster. Every one of those, every one of those transactions creates wealth in a way that is two parties are coming together and both agreeing to get something from the other party better than, or that they wanted than the thing they had in their pocket. So in every situation, if you can speed up a good transaction, there's more wealth created, you have the opportunity to increase wealth. So lower efficiencies, you know, technology has a very disruptive element and we see all of this kind of coming together. Blockchain technology, I think, is being underestimated right now. I think the efficiencies gained, the disruptiveness of this tech is far greater than you get if you're just getting the sound bites or if you're just getting involved. Uh, and so that's something that I think is worth pausing and kind of digging into a little bit to think about if anybody's in this room is either already in the space or is thinking about getting in the space from any different angle. Look at the advantages that you can gain. Look at how you can work and partner with other, uh, other business people, entities, you name it, and then take advantage of the core elements of the technology because that's really where all the value is. I think you can see very clearly not only just the price of Bitcoin being something that people are interested in. Yes, I think it's speculative. Yes, there's probably going to be off and on volatility forever. But really, I think that under, underneath that, people recognize that it feels good to have possession of your assets, that it feels uh, empowering to feel that you can interact with other people in a, in a free market, in an open, uh, open network. So those are the types of elements that we should be looking at how to, how to, how to leverage them. How do you bring more of the positive benefits of blockchain? How do you bring more of the ability to feel great about your personal wealth? How do we bring more security to being able to interact in, a, in an open market? How do we build a better market? So I'm going to leave a few minutes probably because I'm talking really fast today uh, to ask some questions if there are any. But I, I would leave everybody with kind of the thought of the day for me, which is how can we work together to become the market? How, we, how can we decentralize this quicker to where every one of us is the market and we are all the decentralized elements? And all of that can be done if you start looking at how to connect the dots in these transactions, how to bring together all the value of banking and finance and start to put that in a more applicable way where it's simpler to interact with. What we're working on with SALT is just one piece. You know, we have a lot of work cut out for ourselves. We're doing a lot of work specifically in the smart contracts and how to make sure that we can guarantee that the transaction is going to execute the way it should. But I, I would like to see more people focus on how do, how do I do that? Everybody in here probably interacts all day long and is doing business all day long and just takes it for granted. But there's probably a ton of value that you can bring into the market just with what you know and how to use the technology. So that would be my thought of the day, just to encourage everybody to meet, transact with each other, share information, share value, and create wealth. Thank you, everybody. If anybody have any questions, I'm going to leave some time for the next one. Prove that I own that in a smart contract, 
and then say, hey, because I have this and it will turn over to the other party immediately if needed, then I can get a lender just to get comfortable with that and park their money and then I make payments back just in any type of agreement depending on how the lender or borrower agree. And both parties win because you have an investor on one side making cash and you have another person who's getting a bolder position. They both benefit if that stays that way. Uh, but that's only the beginning if you start taking the pairing. You know, we like to look at it from a spectrum. Everybody has a spectrum of things that they absolutely won't sell. Maybe would sell if your price is right. Yeah, I'll sell, let's deal. Yeah, I'd sell that for a cup of coffee and geez, I need to get rid of this, right? So this, this spectrum of, of value and, and how that ties into every single person's personal opinion about what's valuable and not. And once you start being able to look at that, you can say, okay, well, how granular can we make that? And how can I start pairing different? There's a lot of our customers who are very interested in borrowing Ethereum. Okay, so Ethereum is kind of the network of gasoline for the ICO world right now, currently. So if you're going to go participate in any one of these offerings and or projects, typically it's going to be done in Bitcoin or Ethereum. So there's kind of a whole new wave of businesses that are the hedge funds coming into the world or the businesses coming into the world that are saying, okay, we can borrow this, put this up as collateral, that works. It's actually very analogous our business to two models that already exist fundamentally. One is kind of a peer-to-peer -peer lending club model, if anybody's familiar with that, uh, on the back end. And two, securities-backed lending, which is the ability to take a portfolio and lend against it. So it's more analogous to that than it is uh, maybe property or real estate. But it kind of blurs the lines with everything once you have something that can be so granular like a blockchain asset that can be used on either side. So long answer to the question, I hope that helps. Yeah, actually, so I was kind of that also. Sure. I was wondering, like, if, let's say, five years down the line, we were able to, like, like, totally decentralize in terms of currency, like, the odds, but let's just say, I decided to go on the news. So how would you solve the pivot from that? Right now, the I'm right? So we're agnostic to what blockchain technology is going to win, and I personally think that it will become inevitable at some point in time for governments to issue their own. Um, oh yeah, sorry. So the question was, it, how, how is this applicable if digital currencies replace fiat or national currencies? Uh, that was the question. And for us, we're agnostic to the technology. We think that regardless of if it's Ethereum or EOS or any, anything else, who knows what it's actually going to end up being, the underlying value is not going away and that people are going to be issuing this. And so I, it could go a lot of different ways, but it won't actually matter because for our business, all you need is two parties, one that wants to hold on to something and one that wants to gain yield off of something or get interest off of another. That's all you need in order to make these pairings. And that's global, so there's going to be people that want euros, there's going to be people that want pesos, there's going to be want to put up gold, there's going to be people who want to put up real estate. Everything you can think of already in a, in a lending environment, this is just a different technology. We're really not a lender. We're focused on lending technology to license out to people who are, because we'll never be able to compete for those rates directly. However, a market will compete very effectively, as it always, as it always does, and will level the prices out where it needs to be. It's a great question. Anybody else got anything interesting on bringing? Yes. You mentioned that you got Great question. So the question was just to repeat, does the borrower need to give up control of the asset 
which fundamentally in this space, you'll hear a lot of people say, don't ever do that. Don't leave your money on exchanges. Don't give your money to anybody because you may not get it back. It's like a bare bond cash transaction where if you hand it over to somebody, you're taking their word for it. What we do, and I think this is where it gets really exciting, is we share that role. So custodianship is a big topic on how to think about this space. And we put it in a, in a, in a contract, which is everybody agrees to the terms, and we have, say, four parties borrower, lender, and either one of those can be given off to a custodian, so maybe I want this to be with this institution, I want this to be with this institution, and then there's salt and a third party to prove that we don't have control. And it's really designed just to be either here or here, but you have the other parties involved to make sure that always happens. And then the technology takes the feed of price mechanism and payment mechanism and monitors the loan to value and keeps everything proportionate so you have a very granular approach to keeping the contract on target so you don't have to litigate or get into situations where there's defaults, et cetera. But basically to recap, it's sharing the responsibility of saying, I, I still have a signature on that too. So if you think about a checkbook that you establish that requires four executives to sign before money can move or a wire, I need four people to approve this. This technology makes that really uh, easy if done properly. And it's something that a lot of people aren't doing, I don't think, and should be doing. And so that's a service we're offering is how to, how to create really robust, strong contracts and then add extra layers of security on it. So you have a sense that you can sleep at night knowing that you're not responsible solely, but the, the lender's not as well. Sorry. Uh, so the, the answer was being, I, I don't think it was a question. Okay. My specific question is, do I have to give up control of my asset to a multi-sig wallet? Yes. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, you hold one of the keys. I hold one of the keys. You cannot you cannot move the money, right? Because the lender will never let you do that. That's the whole problem that it solves is saying, how do you do this? Lenders aren't prepared yet to or you know, custodians are not prepared yet to understand how to take on that responsibility, which is a giant responsibility. That's where all the risk comes from. So you distribute the risk, right? So you're 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 essentially spreading it out across parties. Are you guys alive? Uh, yeah. <laughs> when? Okay, so yeah, we are live on the back end privately. The, you know, the disclaimer is that I cannot solicit an investment because we're not a registered investment advisor yet, although that's being created, and then we, we create the ability for other entities to come in and participate. So we can do transactions and are doing transactions right now with approved licensed businesses on one end and borrowers that have gone through all the KYC, but we have not launched in any capacity because we're not ready to scale that. We also don't want to go too fast. Uh, we are going to be launching this month for people to apply, and then from that point on, it's it's really systematic in first come, first serve. We have two things to solve, really. One, the demand is off the charts. The amount of people that want to borrow is much greater than we had thought and or recognized, which is why we see how this, is going to, this trend is going to continue. But two, uh, it's jurisdictional, right? So somebody may apply in a place that we're not quite sure on the laws yet, and we are taking legal and regulatory concerns at the front end, at the highest level always, to make sure that we don't mess that up. That's, that's fundamental for people to know that if you're involved, we're doing everything 100% by the book. We're not interested in being that disruptive, right? We still want to be able to do transactions where entities and or accredited investors and or people that can prove they should be investing can invest and borrowers can prove the same thing. 
So when did that answer that question? We're, we're doing, we're, we're live now. I can do loans. I've actually taken out loans and I did really well on that. I did a loan early on, a test loan for 25 Bitcoin when it was a thousand of Bitcoin. So I owe $7,000, it's worth half a million now. So that's the value proposition of that contract. But we can't offer that out to everybody in the room just yet. One more question. If you do a community with your lending, can you and I discuss a special contract just for my company? Yes. Yeah, that's the real cool part about the flexibility is you can, once you have the overall structure, for, and, then, and then that kind of crosses all, across all blockchains, so we're working on Bitcoin, Ethereum, we're already working on uh, NAM, and then we're looking at Ripple. So there's all these different ways that this can possibly be done, but we standardize, you know, to the to largest degree, our technology in the back end, and then from there you can get flexible. Uh, everything is term-based, so if two people agree, that's the contract. Right, thank you. Okay. Am I out of time? Two minutes, I got one more if anybody wants one more question. I was curious of what your thoughts are on like what coins gonna prevail, you know, with like Bitcoin and Bitcoin Cash and all the other ones. Bitcoin will crush them all, I'm kidding. Um, I do have some opinions about that. I think that there's gonna be probably six or seven, who knows how many, I don't know the number, really prevalent blockchains and or distributed computers, which is more what Ethereum is. Ethereum's a like a global computer. I don't see that going away, and I think that that value that those add, that layer that they create, is tremendously undervalued right now. If you look at how many people on the planet and how many people could take advantage of that, there's kind of, I don't think we've seen anything yet as far as the value. Uh, whether or not that's, that gets replaced and replaced over and over again, which you see in a lot of technologies, or if something becomes very sticky and just is always there because it works, which you've also seen in a lot of technologies, I don't know. I tend to believe Bitcoin's not going anywhere. I tend to believe Ethereum's not going anywhere. But if it does and something better comes out, okay, great. You know, we still ultimately all win because that's the value is being created in the proposition, not necessarily one specific. And the other thing is it's very liquid. So if something starts to not be a good performer, you can just quickly move out of that, right? You have a lot less risk of holding onto something when it's highly liquid. Don't forget to like, subscribe, and share with a friend you think would appreciate the send. Up next, more talks from past conferences. Thanks for listening.